Welcome to the Shelf Warmers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, and their connection to bigger topics. I'm your co-host Darby, and today we're going to talk about the artistic well running dry. And I'm your co-host Sugu. Join us tonight as we take a very long and circuitous route, sometimes doubling back, sometimes moving forward, (laughs) about life and everything that goes with it. Stuff. (laughs) 42. Yeah, 42. begin by way of introduction i'm darby harn a freelance writer and editor and an independent author publishers weekly called my novel ever the hero an entertaining debut which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics and an alternate america you can find more information about me and my books at darbyharn.com i'm also on twitter at darbyharn and i'm sugu your co-host i work in it and education and i'm also passionate about writing and story You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Tonight, we're going to talk about running on empty. And I'm going to let that awkward pause stay there. Uh, (laughs) Darby, what, what does this mean, running on empty, to you? Well, it might, it might be better for you to kind of start off because you said you kind of had thoughts about it too. So maybe why don't you lead in? Okay. And well, that might unlock that it might unlock the brain for me a little bit. Okay. So the reason that we're talking about this today is because of something that you and I had talked about off the podcast. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because in many ways – um, I think this is, uh, there are so many threads to pull in this and I, I would like to try and, and uh, pull them all. But basically the idea is that there comes a point when an artist has used up all their creativity. So you mentioned one analogy in the music sphere, which is that, um, artists, they already have their first album that they've been working on in their head for their whole life. And then when they finally get it published, that's, you know, they've had their whole life to, to work on it and they've, they've got it out. What, what next, right? Some people have more ideas that they can keep making more albums. Some people just don't, they have that one album, but it's not just albums. It's also uh, books. Some authors have a certain number of books in them. And they write the trunk novels. They write the fan fiction. They write everything that's out there. But then they get to an eventual point where they're done. Everything they wanted to write has been written. So what comes next? But it's also not writers and musicians. Uh, The other area that I've seen this happen is video game creators, coders. They will Mm -hmm. make a video game and they'll pour their heart and soul into it. And then they're finished. And 
that's it. They're the expectation is to create more stuff, but there's nothing more in the well. It's just empty. And yep. that could be an existential crisis for some authors. Mm. Or that could be a chance to uh, revisit yourself and redevelop your identity and kind of try to find a new well to spring into. Um, but it's a, it's a fairly trying time. And it's a fairly personal time. And so I thought with all these different ways, you know, now we're coming up on 108 episodes in the podcast Mm -hmm. and the pandemic is rounding its course. Um, (laughs) Japan has recently uh, declared that coronavirus is finished. I didn't know a government can declare, but they've decided to. Um, <laughs> oh, well, that's good. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of the premise. That's kind of what I thought about in terms of this episode. Yeah, I, I've sort of been thinking about it a lot in general lately for a couple different reasons. One is, is that... um the um u2 one of my favorite bands uh some people's most hated band i've discovered um it i just put out a new album i say new but it's it's 40 of their biggest hits slash so there's some really um hidden gems in there that have been re-recorded and reimagined in some cases rewritten um and it struck me immediately as just odd. And then it felt very, this is something sort of artists slash bands sort of do late in their career when they've run out of ideas. And U2 is famous for always pushing the envelope. Their entire mm-hmm. career is defined by them, like literally walking out on a limb. And sometimes that really works. Octung Baby, sometimes it doesn't uh, with pop. I'm actually a fan of pop. I know a lot of people aren't, but that those are both. I was gonna both... say I like both pop and Zeropa, and those are both not popular. Zeropa, especially pop, pop, you know, has its fans, and Zeropa doesn't. Even though Zeropa has um, arguably their best song on it, which is um, uh, "Far Away," uh, so close. Um, the they're always pushing the envelope. And they're all their entire career is defined by what you were just talking about, which is them seeking out energy and inspiration. So they've gone to Berlin, you know, they, things like that. For Octung Baby, they needed to get out of their own way. They needed to get out mm-hmm. of their own heads. They went to Berlin to seek this energy, which you can hear. That sort of, sort of very. There's something very, you know, um, very uh, audibly. Uh, singular about Octung Baby, and so these guys have been going. They're they're artistic pioneers. They're they're um they, they they've never rested on their laurels, and then they do this. And I watched the interview that Zane Lowe did with Bono and the Edge the other day about this project, 
and the edge was saying that this was a product of the pandemic that they were sitting at home and they're like what do you do and it had been sort of turning around in his head about sort of revisiting these songs and it's just it's clear to me that they've run they the well is empty that they have run out of ideas that they are these guys are in their 60s now and they've done it all there's nothing left for them to do or prove you know and they but bono has been talking for a long time about the need for himself personally and for the band to seek creative endeavors bono just wrote a, a autobiography was it last year i think and he's talked a lot about writing different things he's talked about writing novels which i don't think he's done yet um bono's always seeking and i know the edges too but um but they did this and it's like you know so this is interesting and, and this is not unusual for artists to return to their music um and in some cases that can be very interesting in this case for me personally it struck me as it, because they're so important to me you two they're, they're such a huge part of my life they're they're in many ways the soundtrack to a lot of my life, Octung Baby is 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 a Desert Island record. Um, it just struck me as very you know. You don't ever want to feel that. You don't ever want to feel like you know your your heroes are sort of on the wrong end of it. The you can't you can't complain that they're on the wrong end of it because that they've they've persevered. They're going into their fifth decade. These guys have been writing and recording and playing since they were fifteen and sixteen. Mm-hmm. You know, Dublin literally had nothing in the world, and they, they've done it all. And they, they they are arguably one of the great bands uh, in rock and roll history. They're arguably the last great rock and roll band in, in, in rock history. They have no peer. They have no peer when it comes to the fact that they that they've made it to this point intact. Bands simply don't survive this way. They either break up. They lose a member, they replace them at whatever. They don't ever, no one gets to this point with your, your original lineup. It just yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah, and you don't get four. to this point. Yeah. You don't get to this point having the success they've had intact. So, and they are extremely successful. Um, and it, that's just sort of been on my mind. And it's, it's, it's reflective of you know you see it you see it every you see it a lot in music the rolling stones have been touring and very success one of the most successful bands in the world obviously without question they have been creatively empty around about since 1970 something mm-hmm. and they you know they have not been doing anything new or remotely creative um for a long time that's not what motivates them what motivates them is that they're a great live band in their 80s now who are out and they're just playing and they they draw huge they draw huge crowds and they make shit tons of money um but creatively creatively empty and um the you, you you see you see it especially with with artistic you know figures like this but then you get people like david bowie who never ever lost it because he was always moving he could never sit still he was always seeking 
right up to the last moment, Black Star, he was always seeking creative inspiration and newness and sort of new ways of expression. And um, he, again, like you too, was very similar. He he himself had made the pilgrimage to Berlin. He does this in the late 70s, with, and he hooks up with Brian Eno. They create the so-called uh, Berlin Trilogy, which the rec- that includes, like, for fans of Bowie, that's where Heroes comes from. Um, it's He was always seeking, and he was always, would always be, you know, in the 90s, he got in sort of into different... You know, he hooked up with Trent Reznor and he's just he's always changing his palette, his musical palette. And I've been feeling this a little bit. I know I'm going on too. So if you if you got any thoughts on any of this, just jump in. But uh, you're fine. You're fine. Keep going because you're about to talk about I don't, I don't, what's going on. for okay. you. Yeah, I don't want to go on, but um, I've been feeling this <laughs> a little bit because I've been I've been very excited recently because I have my novel Stargun Messenger that we've talked about is coming out and I'm very excited about it. I'm very, you know, I feel very, um, uh, euphoric at times and terrified at others about it. But, um, Stargun, as I mentioned on our trunk novels episode is for me personally dates back to the late nineties, um, in its earliest forms. And so I've been carrying it around for a long time, and I tend to carry novels around for a long time. They la- they take very long to gestate. They take very long to get where they're going. Um, or that has been the case for me up until recently, I, I, just because of personal circumstances, which I've talked about elsewhere too, but I won't bother folks with here. That I don't think that's the case anymore. It's I'm not spending as long untangling the knots. But Stargun is out of the well and I, I I realize I don't have anything else in the there's not there's no stories that I've been carrying around you know there's there's nothing there's that that energy and that momentum and, and that that sort of burl of material and thoughts and I want to write this and this is you know this is important to me those things are all I've I've released them into different books and that's Stargun so Stargun, again, like I said, I've been carrying around since I've been, you know, a long time. Um, Country of Eternal Light was something I'd wanted to write in some form since college. Because when we went to college, we went to college at Trinity in Dublin. I had this writing and thoughts and stuff and energy from being there and being in the Aran Islands in particular that I wanted to find expression for. Ever the Hero is in some ways the f- expression of all the superhero stuff I've been carrying around since I was a kid sitting on the floor at the uh, grocery store reading these comics on the rack. And that is, uh, Ever Ever the Hero slash the Eververse has absorbed an enormous amount of artistic uh, capital for me. Enormous amount. And it has become, because the series is the size it is and it's so sprawling, it is literally just every superhero slash whatever thought <laughs> I have is going into that. And that's not going anywhere else, right? Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but regardless, it's I'm feeling a little bit terrified because I feel a little bit empty. I'm writing books, and they're going fine. I'm writing right now uh, Stargun 2. I'm writing Eververse Book 5. 
those are going fine. I don't, I'm not creatively empty and I'm, I'm not going to be rewriting my, my book, my early books like Bono on the Edge or redoing their songs. But the new, the next, what the what else, it's, it, it's gone. And that's terrifying because it feels empty. I don't know what's going to, I know also at the same time internally, there's this want for the new and need for the new. I know because I'm because I am like Bowie. I am like Bono. I need in the sense that um, I need to. I draw energy from places, and that's where you know that's where country came from in particular. That that book is is a talisman for the energy and and the the, the life that I I experienced there in in on Inishmore. So I need to, I know, I need, I know I need to go somewhere and find energy and find inspiration. And what's different now is that there's, there's nothing in reserve. So, you know, I've been carrying these stories in some way, shape or form my whole life, or at least that, that creative, uh, momentum. And, um, and it's, it's, you know. I feel I feel empty, you know. Octavia Butler has talked about this in interviews at at one point or another, where she had a lot of her early books, in particular Parable, Parable of the Sower. Um, they dated back to ideas that she had when she was a teenager, like twelve years old, fourteen years old, or maybe younger. I'm not sure. Um, and she felt the same thing. She got to a certain point. She got around about to my age, I think. Octavia Butler, and she had written those books. And she had emptied the, she had emptied the well, and she experienced that same sort of like, oh God, you know, where is this going to come from? And your life, your life is shifting in middle age. Your creativity is shifting because it's shifting from the beginning to, I don't know, you don't know, right? One hesitates to say it's shifting towards the end, but you know your concerns in life are different. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're not trying to, you're not trying to filter or organize or understand the creative momentum or the, the, the momentum in life, which has propelled you to this point. You're trying to make sense of where you're going and you're going somewhere in a hurry. Right. And so, especially these days, there's so much upheaval in all of our lives and in the world. You're like, Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and, like, the reason that I thought it would be a good episode for us to kind of talk through and, you know, kind of unravel is not only to kind of sort out what you're going through, though that that is, like, the main reason, um, but also to kind of do some comparing and contrasting. Because, like, for myself, before the podcast, I was feeling empty on a lot of stuff not just creating or not just writing but like a lot of different things i was feeling myself mm -hmm. um not really stagnant but kind of forced and pulled into a career that i did not choose mm. you know like i didn't plan to be where i am now I didn't, I didn't expect it. And every year I do it, 
I get further and further away from where I thought I wanted to be back in college. Yeah. And so I was feeling pretty empty. Like the stories that I had in me, I never took the time to write down the musical ideas I had in me. I never had the time. I never took the time to record them somehow. Mm. And I never really took things further. I got to a place where I was kind of comfortable in terms of writing. Like I was Mm -hmm. writing for travel, doing travel writing. I was really enjoying it. Yeah. But then I stopped because I had achieved what I wanted. I was a travel writer. And that was kind of it. Could I have taken it further? Sure. Absolutely. And sometimes I wish I had. But like I said, Mm. this career that I find myself in, it was one of necessity. It was one of, uh, like, my skill level matched it without planning. And it, it worked. And I was just mm-hmm. feeling kind of down about that because, like, I I was, I'm extremely grateful that I was able to build up and trade on my secondary skill set. I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. But the price that I had to pay is to give up on all of that creativity and the stuff that was in my head. And yeah. you and I talked about it 105 episodes ago. No, 107 episodes ago. We talked mm-hmm. about it. And we decided to start up this podcast. Yeah. And I'll be honest, at first I didn't do much, right? Do you remember the first uh, within our first season I joined our meeting recorded it like I recorded my voice sent it to you and went about my day <laughs> mm-hmm. you were the one that was taking care of the editing and, and everything else but as I got slowly more comfortable with the podcast I started getting the editing feeling and I, I took over editing for us And then from there, I started getting into drawing and I worked on the logo, which, sorry, again, 105 episodes, still haven't published that logo. (laughs) Um, But I started doing that, right? And I'm starting to get my, like, dip my toe back into some form of creative well, but it's Mm -hmm. nowhere, it's, again... Apparently, as my life pattern, it's not what I was expecting. I didn't expect to go into a uh, into art uh, into art, uh, visual art. I didn't expect to start to leverage my writing background and my tech background into developing some future projects right now that have nothing mm-hmm. to do with anything. Yeah. You know, on the surface they look like independent completely independent projects. But for me, I can trace it back to 
starting that little bit of spark with this podcast with just that slight feeling of creativity and you know the saying success begets success Mm -hmm. well one of the things that has happened to me over the past several years is I got too fixated on the big picture I must have the full complete great American novel written (laughs) having skipped writing the first 30 chapters. Yeah. First three chapters. Important. (laughs) It's kind of important. And then I skipped writing the chapters, but not only did I skip writing the chapters, I skipped having the idea. Mm. (laughs) I skipped all of the steps to get to great American novel. And then I was disappointed in myself that I wasn't having the great American novel. Musically, I joined five choirs in the Kansai area. Amazing opportunity for me. I absolutely loved being part of these choirs. I have a choir season where I would have concerts every weekend all around the Kansai area in Japan. That, uh, that means Osaka, Kobe, Kyoto, and Nara. That's incredible for me. A foreigner in Japan, oftentimes being the only foreigner in these concerts, you know, like that's an incredible opportunity. I felt musical, but then it just kind of stopped because for no reason, right? It just stopped. I had succeeded, so to speak. And I didn't want to practice anymore. I didn't want to take the music home and rehearse and get to know the song. I was just like, ah, it's fine. I can get the music. I'll just go to the concert tomorrow and I'll be fine. Of course Mm. I wasn't. But that was what was happening. And then to top all of it off, the pandemic hit. Yeah. And now every opportunity I wanted to take is closed off. Right. Every because you said you derive your energy from locations. I derive it from experiences where I go and try something new, a new adventure doesn't have to be a new location, but it can be in something that I've never done before. Yeah. And that informs my creativity. Sorry. I think that's no, I real quick. I think that's what I mean is experiences, but I I definitely from places Mm -hmm. I definitely get a lot of um, energy I get from people, you know, all of it, but, you know, but definitely when I'm somewhere new, um, whether that's easier, a new right? place, I've, it's easier. It just comes quicker, yeah. it feels like. Yeah. See, for me, I remember the moment where my brain kind of switched from that mm. uh, because I was a long time ago. I was looking into a career as a travel writer. Mm-hmm. And what it would take to be a travel writer, right? Because that sounds amazing. Travel the world, write about it, sell it, and you're done. You're golden. Like, that sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Travel writers, the real professional travel writers, they actually tend not to travel. They tend to go very deep into their one location that they are. Yes. Yes. And I realized, oh, that's not what I was expecting. And then I thought about it more. I'm like, wait a minute. I can actually do that 
because one of the things I learned around the same time, I was living in this totally rural, out of nowhere city in Japan. I call it mm-hmm. a city because they call it a city. Sure. It is not a city. It is a township at best of the number of foreigners in the entire area. It was me, one other person, and the U.S. military. Like, <laughs> that was it. There were, like, uh, oh, I'll tell you another story from, from that area. I, when I left my, my school, when I left my work, if I timed it correctly, I could catch the bus back to city central. If I missed that bus, even for a minute, it was faster for me to just walk the rest of the way because mm. the bus, the next bus would come in an hour. Yeah. yeah. That's how rural I lived. But the amazing thing and what changed my mind about the whole travel writing trajectory that I was planning was even there I found there was more life than one life. Hmm. Like even in this rural area there was still tons of people to talk to, tons of stories to collect, tons of life to live country of eternal light is the product of living on an island with 900 people in it yeah and you know of, of which i got to know some very a few very well yeah and and so that's you know that's what yeah yeah absolutely right like mm-hmm. it's that idea of where you actually have where you're actually limited in resources is where you get to be actually a bit more creative because you kind of have to be. People, artists always draw energy from play, which is why cities and places throughout time have always been magnets. You know, New York City for the longest time has been a, a hub for all manner of artists. And, you know, L.A. or right now Atlanta is um, becoming one of those cities. And, you know, Paris oh, certainly. Know, really. What's that? Atlanta, really? I didn't know. Cool. Yeah, it is. It is becoming a artistic hub, but you know, in a lot of ways. One reason is there's a there's obviously a great music scene there, but there's a burgeoning for several years now, uh, motion picture industry, and that yeah, has it's, it's like the burgeoning that, Hollywood, right? That brings out a ton of yeah. That has a lot of ripple effects into other arts and industries. You know, Paris after the war, et cetera. Dublin always. Dublin's one of the great literary cities in the world, right? Um, <laughs> so th- these places have always been magnets, you know? You're, you're not wrong at all. I'm just reminded of when we were in Ireland. I met this one dude uh, who asked me where, where I was. And I'm like, oh, I'm staying in, in Dublin. And his response is only, oh, Paris is the only city in the world. I'm like, the hell you're talking about <laughs> i uh i've run into this shit uh that this kind of thinking i ran into in dublin that summer um for forever and it's because of i have i've, I've ended up in my life strangely in weird proximity 
uh, to these places. The first one was where I was born. I was born in Iowa City. Iowa City is the writer magnet <laughs> in the United States. It's the capital of the world in terms of MFA programs. And so by proxy, it has um, uh, deep, deep roots into all things writer. So I was, I was... I was connected from the jump, obviously. Went to college there, graduate of the University of Iowa. Uh, not of the MFA program, but as we've talked about somewhere before on the pod, um, you and I were just always hanging around the program because we were writers. Um, and then we also went to Trinity College in the Irish writing program. Again, in Dublin, again, another major literary capital, if not the literary capital in the world. I'm going to put it above your man as far as Paris goes. Um, <laughs> Paris, Paris, though, great, wonderful, beautiful, artistic city, which is its place and literature is profound. Um, the... Uh, so, you know, I've always been close to these places in my life. And so I think, you know, it's always sort of been in my, literally my DNA and in, in my blood. And so I, you draw energy from, <clears throat> excuse me, you draw energy from them. And, and there's just an aspect of myself too, which is just, it's a bit searching. It's a bit seeking. And so you're, 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 you're yearning for something though. I was in Dublin, the, 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 the charge, the experience in my, that summer, that, that time we were in college was on, was in the Aran Islands, was on Inishmore. And that mm -hmm. got its claws into me. Mm -hmm. That lasted forever until ultimately that, that led me back to Inishmore. And then that led ultimately to a country of eternal light, um, which is an experience in a book and a novel to go back real quick to this idea, you know, you can't replicate these things. You know, you know, the the edge said this in the interview with Zane Lowe that I referenced earlier. It's like once they're gone, they're gone, which is why returning to these songs is so unusual for them. And I think maybe he thought this is the artistic challenge returning to them because it's because like publishing, the music industry is write, record, release, move on. Right? Mm -hmm. And so the songs right. are gone. You're, you're playing them all the time live. And so the, the songs morph and change and evolve live. And having seen you two a ton of times live, I, you know, you can see this happen with some of the songs. But for them artistically, boom, it's gone. And it has to be gone because they're on to the next thing. And just yeah. artistically, I... yeah, yeah. Sorry, can I uh, just real quickly add to that? Um, one of my favorite versions of With or Without You specifically is this live version where Bono just continues on singing after the song. Yeah. Like the band is still playing and he just up and sings. It's like an extra two, three minutes. This is really, really a heartfelt, moving uh, version. And I bring that up because what I had heard about the U2 album is specifically With or Without You sounds weird in mm -hmm. this new version. And people, the what I read was people trying to figure out why it sounds weird. And one thing that someone had said is that it feels too refined, like auto-tuned, 
it feels like the chord structures and the 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 rhythm is like computer perfect it doesn't have the the slight variations that a human will make that adam clayton and larry mullen jr have made over the course of four decades you know just that natural variation that you two has done for four decades in concert that's not there this time this is mathematically perfect i think that's the biggest problem for me too with with this particular record is that it's considered those records not that the early ones were but those records the early songs were were expressions of passion and energy and in some ways they were unrefined mm-hmm. and so when they listen to them they look back on them now they're like oh they're you know they're like oh god they're like George Lucas with the Star Wars movies. You look back on it, and all you see is the flaws. As I do this with my books. So people are like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I love the book of Elizabeth. And I'm like, why? <laughs> um, you only see what doesn't work. And so now they're re-recording, and it's considered, and it's measured, and it's also being made with the equipment. They could now digitally edit songs within a millisecond. So most of the songs that you hear on the radio or on YouTube, wherever people listen to them, most of those are, are not actual, just, you know, the best take. And Mm -hmm. then that's mixed into it. It's that take is the product of 70,000 best takes. This is the best beat on this. This is the best, whatever. You know what? That's why that is. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. No, that's why it sounds, it's why it sounds lifeless. Yeah. Right. And I was going to say, you know what this reminds me of, though, is uh, <laughs> I really hate to go down this alley, but I got to bring it up. Star Wars, the prequels. Um, sure. It is like there's some moments if you're watching really carefully, there's some moments where you can actually see the editing of blending within the same scene, within the same shot but you just see the blend of two or three different takes. The example that is in my head is Hayden Christensen. I believe I want to say the opera scene, but I could be wrong. Um, There's a part where his hand moves in this really weird, completely unnatural way. And what it is, is the blurring of the editing as they splice two cuts or uh, as they splice two takes and merge them together is just it's a crazy thought those moments are throughout the prequel trilogy and i'll spare everybody the sort of the the star wars of it all but it's an example of an artistic tendency with george lucas where it just of a of a all he sees are the mistakes when they're not even mistakes mm-hmm the most glaring example of this is what he ultimately did with Return of the Jedi. So he was always tinkering with the original trilogy. And in some cases, those were improvements. In one glaring case that wasn't was the, the, the final scene with in Return of the Jedi in the throne room where Darth Vader uh, redeems himself and, and, and destroys the Emperor. Um, that scene originally didn't feature any dialogue from Darth Vader. He, he's standing there, he's watching the Emperor electrocute his son, and then 
In a great bit of expressive physical acting, David Prowse conveys Vader's exhaustion, uncertainty, and fear. If you just watch that scene, his shoulders just get further and further this way. They're, they're mm-hmm. sagging into the frame, and he's did that weight. It's, it's outstanding. And then finally, that weight just carries him over, and he turns, and he, he kills his master. Yeah. George what, what and his final... Now? George in the final special edition added this uh, line of Darth Vader, James Earl Jones saying, no, it's awful. It's uncanny. It's unnecessary because the actor Vader has conveyed his feeling, his thoughts, his mind, the turmoil through the acting. But George, because he doesn't trust his own vision, thought that that wasn't clear to the audience. A movie well, that was 30 years old at the time. So he added this line, which destroys the the the, the ambience and tone of the scene. But also, it, it, he doesn't trust his audience to kind of get there. He doesn't trust his audience. He doesn't trust his own vision, which is why he's always going back over it. And, and that is a separate from what we're talking about in terms of emptying the well. But because it, that's a different kind of creative imbalance. But... Mm-hmm. It led to improvements in the in the original trilogy. There were some things he did that I think were improvements. There were things though that just you know reflect this imbalance in George and um, I possibly this new record "Songs of Surrender" from U2 is a reflection of that creative imbalance where the well is empty and you're going back on yourself and you're tinkering. There's nothing wrong with going back and revising and editing. I do it with my books right now. I've, I've done this with all of them. I, I can, you know, just in terms of cosmetically, the layout and things like that, or the, you know, I've made as I've learned and I've grown as a publisher and a bookmaker, I've, you know, I've made improvements, but I've also done it in the text. And the biggest mm-hmm. example is probably Nothing Ever Ends, which went from me just going through and I was going to get out the gremlins to I ended up making substantial revisions in the text. And I can do that because I'm not published by a big five publisher whose time scales are in years and also mm-hmm. simply would not pay for a revision like that. I could do it, press boom, and it's done, right? I could do that as quick or as slow as I want to. And I can, and I did. And so that'll be oblique to most readers going forward. They'll never know a version of it. So the you know the few of you <laughs> that have read nothing ever ends to this point. Well, when you you know if you ever go back to it, you'll you'll or see this updated or version. Or the ones we'll who have the paperback. Yeah, you have the paperback, and so your version is is different than the the existing version. So that's similar to what George is doing. The difference is is that my intent there, he he was going back over art, which existed in, in the cultural landscape on a on a scale that's not even in the same universe as what i'm talking about i'm doing this in the dark so no one is paying attention and i can do it tolkien did this as well to his work he was always chipping away at it but mm-hmm. an artist do and that that's not that's not it's not unusual to go back over your work and it, there's nothing wrong in going back to your work what ha- the difference is is when you are on the scale of you two and you're on the scale of George Lucas, and you then take a paintbrush to a cultural monument, then that gets into a different conversation than we're having today. But they're both, I think, um, I think they're both expressions of the fact that the well is empty, 
And so I'm not there because I haven't been producing on, on the scale in any sense of what they've been doing. But I feel that, like Octa- I mentioned Octavia Butler earlier, I feel like she did that sort of that that sort of unsettling, like, oh, God, like what what is next? I don't know. You know, I've had people tell me, like, when are you going to write another book like Country? Because Country was so singular. And I'm like, there is not another book like that. That's it. There's not another, mm-hmm. right? You know, that's that book. Perhaps they mean, like, when are you going to write another book that's singular? And this, you know, is sort of like that. Kind of, I, I don't know because I don't I don't have there's nothing in me that is um, that is agitating me the way that country was for so long. Um, so I got you know. a question about all that then you mm-hmm. said earlier that you're in in the middle of book five in the Eververse series yes and you're writing book two in the Stargun <laughs> Messenger series yeah yes I'm writing both right? <laughs> do you know what book three in Stargun Messenger is going to be do you know what book six is going to be in uh, Ever the Hero? Or is that uh, yes, well dry? It, no, I, I do know. Um, so in some ways, this is actually compounded. Let me quick very address Stargun. I know less about Book 3 and Stargun than I do Eververse. I kind of okay. know where Adari is going, but that that's literally laying down track in front of me with Stargun, which is fun. And it's exciting. It's unnerving because I do feel that sort of like, well, if I make a mistake, you know, um, Eververse, I have a bigger idea. And part of the agitation right now with with all of this is that with book five is the book that I've been working towards for this entire time. This is where I've wanted. This is the big turn in the story. This is the book which is going to be the most unusual in terms of its structure the books to this point, they're all di- they all feature a different protagonist. They they slightly different genre, right? Each one's kind of a little bit different. This one's different again. This is the book I've been wanting to write my entire life. This is okay. this is Wayne blessed me with this ridiculous quote on Stargun where he's like, "What if James Joyce wrote the X Men about Stargun Messenger?" Which is just your head pops, but this is book five. What if James Joyce wrote the X-Men? What if Virginia Woolf or Samuel R. Delaney or this book? I don't want to say too much about it because obviously, but that this, I, I've, I've had these conversations and to be, to be brutally honest, every book has been, is an expression, this artistic, I want to write the books I want to write, which is why you get these books. People are like, why did, why, why are you doing those are the books I want to write. But also with the Eververse, I understood that every book, because this is a series, and I want the series to go on, and I therefore I need to be read. There need to be readers, and they have to be successful. They have to be to justify their cost. There's a lot of sunk cost in the Eververse. Um, mm-hmm. They have to read. They have to get through to the next one, right? Hopefully, people go forward and they want to read and they and they all have what they share is sort of a dna of like you know oh wow what you know hopefully book five is where that changes and book five is going to be 
its own thing and it's going to be more it's to give maybe people an idea if you guys are familiar with cloud atlas or um uh, the hours by michael cunningham where it is the structure is different stories mm -hmm. that are sort of a russian doll kind of a thing that's and book that all five back together in the end yeah that's book five and book five is um um it, are, it's very challenging to write because it's the it's not the end of the story it's the turning point in the story and so things are evolving and changing and 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 getting it right is proving very challenging mm -hmm. but that's also the big thing that's been on the horizon and so that's you know i'm doing it now and i'm wondering what's after what's after is the rest of the series that's a big challenge you know artistic challenge like completing these things mm -hmm. but yeah to to your point to your question it's like you know yeah those are motivating those are creatively satisfying and rewarding and challenging but like the you know what's next like what's what I, you know, there's a, there's a real, there's a building right now, late, very, very, in, you know, just as, as the star guide has become real. She's very real. She's right here. This is, you know, yay. You know, she's, um, as she's become real, that, that void, that emptiness in the well has become really profound. Mm -hmm. Like right now, you're just kind of, you're dealing with the existentialism of it all, right? Like what happens? Yeah, so, and it, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. No, as I say, it's and it's it's coming out in book two. It's part of the artistic thing is dealing with your now, and book two, Adari is uh, dealing with what happens after you're done, what happens after you do the thing, and her and Emra achieve this amazing thing at the end of book one. No spoilers, but they do the thing, and then. Then it's what next? What do you do next? Is it happily ever after? Of course not. Right? But like what what you've done it. And for Emra in particular, who goes through this in, pro profound transition. In its own way, it kind of reminds me of the problem that we've talked about with the Matrix. Where do you go from Neo becoming God at the end of the first movie? What story can you tell where he can't just solve the problem within five seconds of knowing what the problem is. They, I, they escalated it, right? Like now what? I, I will say, and this won't surprise anybody that reads it or has listened to our conversations about the matrix on the pod, the, 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 the matrix that was on my mind in writing Stargun for a few reasons. Um, Emra, in particular, shares qualities with Neo. Um, she doesn't end book one as the end-all be-all, although she does a... She achieves an extraordinary thing. The difference is, um, with Neo, he becomes a god within the system that presents challenges um Imra as the as one of the villains in book two tells her he's like nothing has changed you are still as vulnerable as you were before I can still hurt you I can still kill you that 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 doesn't change 
the difference is, is, is that, you know, um, that's just harder for me to do. Um, but that's still the case, but, but Emmer's challenge is it is what, what's next. You've done this thing that you've, you've been working towards your entire life. And for her, a much a cosmic scale, a cosmic timeline, she's done it. She's done it. And then, and then, you know, and then you're, then you're coasting on this euphoric wave of like, I've done it. And her and Adari, you know, you know, the, 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 the final, if the story ended with book one, it's a, it, it's, it's done. It's, they're, they're in a, you know, they're in a, they're in, it's a good story. They, they've, they, they, they've, they've earned their, um, happiness, but it's it, but life goes on. And then what, what night, where do I go? What do I, what do I do with the fact that I survived, that I did it? What do I do with, where am I going? What am, what is the next, is there a next thing? I don't know. I don't know. And then that agitation builds within you. And then with, and I've experienced this too, when you're, when you're artistic um, and you are agitated within yourself, that, that friction that rubs off against your partner, that rubs off against people in your life, that rubs Mm -hmm. off against your life. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then um, that creates its, (laughs) creates its own problems, you know? And so, um, as other artists have found that, you know, creative, dis- when you are consumed by your creativity, it's very hard for people to get between that. And also it's very easy for those important people in your life to feel like that they are, uh, taking on the brunt of the, if you're not, ex- if you're not, uh, emitting creative, like, you know, you're not, you're not putting creativity out in the world. You're putting out frustration, anxiety, mm-hmm. Those things yeah. they tend they tend to encounter the first person they encounter is they tend to be the your significant other, mm. which is not always cool. <laughs> no, it it can be very destructive, right? It can be very destructive. Um, it can be very. Um, I've been. I've been all around the 360 on this particular uh, subject in in my life, where you know the um, um, where it, it creates it, it creates friction. It just because you're just you're just uh, I don't know how much I want to say about this. I've been called I've been called myopic. I've been called. Uh, a lot of things myopic let's stick with myopic um um the i i am too much in my art for you know for for some people i know i am it's my worst habit no it's not i have worse (laughs) 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 i have worse i have worse i have it's a bad habit um I, I just, I, you live with someone in your head so long. I was talking about this uh, not too long ago with someone who is experimenting with writing in the first person for the first time. And they've been intimidated because it's such a challenge. And I, my creativity, my, I was activated finally in novels when I realized a few things about myself. But most importantly, when I realized that when I stop 
trying to find my voice. We've talked about this on the pod somewhere, my voice, and I just embrace the fact that I do voices, and that's the first person. I cannot and I will not write in the third person. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's, like writing, it's like reading Ikea instructions. So um, I do voices. When you live with a voice, with a person in your head, for years, Kit Baldwin, Astra Dari, whoever, that person is a person in your life. And that person is, is often in between you and other people in your life. And when it comes to your significant other, unless your significant other generates a lot of, uh, unless they occupy a lot of space, which I appreciate and I value because then you do find yourself, I'll just say I appreciate it. And I, you know, so if there's any void, if there's any gap, if there's anything, mind the gap, if there is anything there, that creativity, those voices in the head, they will fill that space. They will simply just push out other things, other people. And so um, I think part of me Uh, has always been seeking and part of me is seeking someone to fill up that space, a a person, aren't we all? And so um, I do In better. In some cases, though, the opposite but, can also happen where uh, your significant other can push out your creativity. That's happened in my in my past. Okay. Yeah, that hasn't ever happened to me, but yeah, okay. Um, you know, like, it's been you, the opposite. Yeah. yeah, well, you have, like, for example, if you have a significant other who doesn't really understand your creativity but only wants what they can understand yeah i've seen it right i've seen i'm not saying it's a healthy relationship it's definitely dysfunctional but you know where you have to you have to choose between your partner or your art i've seen a lot of i've seen it all i've seen a lot of people who've given up their art for a lot of reasons, relationships, marriage, and I'm not here to referee any of it. I'm just saying I've seen it. Yeah, of course not. Um, Work. I've known a lot of great writers, a lot of great talent who, as you were saying earlier, you know, you get to a certain point in your career and the art just sort of, it just sort of recedes or Mm -hmm. the, the energy is different or it's not there or the dynamic is different. I've seen that. So many times I I know and have known so many frustrated novelists, writers, musicians, etc. Who the conversation, especially as you get older and you get um, to where I am, where where I'm creative and I'm producing. And the conversation turns from, this is a hard part about it too. The, the conversation turns from, you know, someday, you know, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be, and then that someday comes around and, and you're not, you are, I am, they're not. And so that frustration then on their part becomes part of your relationship and dynamic. And, and that I, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And it, 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 you know, because there's this, I hesitate to say jealousy because what can you be jealous of? 
but there is a frustration and I know it, I know, and they know it. it, there's a frustration. That's nothing to do with me. It's to do with, they're not, they have not, they're not doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with me. It, it's, it's, I'm, but I'm doing it. They're not. And that internal creative friction is still there, but what it's not doing is producing. It's not, you know, for me, it agitates enough. I use a lot of sort of star cosmic metaphors lately because I've been talking about star gun. Here's a good one <laughs> with 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 creativity. You are a product of elements that form early in your life. Genetic ones, environmental ones, your social ones, all of the house you grow up in, the people you grow up around. Whether or not you are creative is depends entirely on whether or not those elements collapse. So like stars, stars form from the accumulation and accretion of hydrogen, helium, right? Heavy gases, things like that. Stars either form or don't because those elements eventually accrue so much mass they collapse. There are, the galaxy is littered, the universe is littered with failed stars. We have one in our solar system, it's called Jupiter. Jupiter is an object which accrued an enormous amount of mass in the early solar system, didn't accrue enough to generate into a star. There are bigger objects than Jupiter in the, in the galaxy. We have a couple very close to us in solar systems that are ma- much bigger than Jupiter that did not attain enough mass to collapse, right, and become stars. There are average stars like our star, which is a main sequence star, there are stars which are a million times bigger than the sun, um, smaller than the sun. That's that's kind of the that's kind of what's going on. Did do those things? Do they then create fusion? Do they then collapse into generating? For some of us, they don't, and that sucks mm-hmm. because that that that's no reflection on anything. It's certainly no reflection on the person, on the artist. It's it's. It, did, it didn't turn over and that I've, I've encountered that so many times in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's frustrating for everybody. It's frustrating for me in a sense, cause I, I want to see that creativity and it's f- really frustrating for them. Cause I've been there. I have been there when you're not writing, when you're not writing, when you're not creative, when that's not happening, that's a really dark place. And that goes really ugly places when those voices aren't in the head when there's when there's nothing happening when there's just that void and especially if there aren't those things to distract you life work family if those things aren't there either oh my god forget about it that's that's led to a lot of dark places and and literature and art is full of of examples of what happens sometimes in those cases so but well that's just it we came out of a pandemic where that was the norm for people Some people just had to sit with only themselves and they had to deal with it. And that, that led to ugly places for people. Mm -hmm. It did. Um, Bo Burnham is a great example of someone who took that isolation and that agitation, anxiety and fear and created something really profound in his uh, special, the Netflix special, which I think everybody should watch. I think it's going to end up being one of the big, most important creative markers of the pandemic. Um, a lot of people, Burnham. Brandon St. Bo Burnham, a comedian who created um, 
I'm forgetting right now for some reason the off the top of my head the name of the special, but uh, if you Google Bo Burnham Pandemic, you're going to get right Inside to it. Inside Review? Yeah, Inside, yeah, something. Uh, inside, is it just Inside? Yeah. Okay. So it's locked down and he's alone in his house and he 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 does he takes his camera and he takes his microphone and he creates uh this um artifact of this moment that we lived in. Some people Brandon Sanderson, he got out his laptop, he wrote what was it, five books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every, whatever. People people did different things. They recorded, um, they they started YouTube channels, they started a podcast like we did. They just did different things. And my entire literary career, or mo- the balance of it, has occurred during this period. But that was also producing books that were mostly in the chamber. And um, I have a lot of thoughts about that that really, I guess, don't matter. But they're just, they literally just flashed through my head. I didn't write a ton over the pandemic. I actually I experienced this sort of weird pause. It's only now that it's over that bang over uh, quotation marks that that the the sort of that sort of energy and stuff is is come back. I've written a ton in the last month, and it's not all novels. It's actually I I said on the last show I I I'm seventy five percent in a diary part two and and that's where I was a month ago and that's because I've been writing other things, mm-hmm. um I, but I've been writing a ton and that's good because it's different it's different it's new it, it's different challenges so, um, yeah it's it's the the it this is just this is just our period this is just our our moment and I I think I haven't. There's a real quick detour, Sugu, and then I need to stop talking. Um, the one thing I haven't come out of the pandemic with is a need to write about it. But one thing I've been, what's just started to sort of slowly sort of orbit in the head just recently is this need to write about something. And my, my uh, I don't know if it's just sort of, I don't know. I don't know where these things sort of get started or whatever, or how they get back into it, but... Um, I did have a couple ideas that were sort of floating into ether. I'd written a short story a couple years ago, which I really, really liked and nobody else did. But the idea was, I thought my mind sort of went back to the idea and it's like, there might be something sort of unfinished in the story and something about what that story was trying to do. Um, that may be a way of me, my, my head, my brain trying to. Uh, reach some accord with the pandemic. Um, uh, I don't know. It feels like it. It feels like there's they you know there's something to be said there, um, and so we'll see. I guess on that, but it's you know, um, I it, just to kind of maybe go back to what where we kind of started in terms of like you know you drawing energy from places and experiences. There's always themes in my work. There's always things that the the, 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 the books are dealing with. What you know, uh, a lot of the time it's inequity. You know, the Eververse is about inequity, which has become so present in our life. It's not necessarily dealing with a thing or a moment, and um, and so I don't think I'm that that kind of writer either. Although my, my in general these books, Stargun Messenger is a space opera, whiz whiz bang bang, 
uh, it is dealing with things in the moment in terms of our moment, our cultural moment here, where, you know, it, it's about identity. It's about agency. It's about being who you are and being allowed to be who you are. Um, and, um, and, and standing up to the people that would deny that. Um, but the pandemic, I, pandemic may be too big. It may just be, too, you know, it's this object, it's this thing. And I've also, um, my body has scars from it. My brain has scars from it. Uh, I don't think my head is quite in the space yet where it's like, okay, I want to, <laughs> I, I can address this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think we need a little bit more distance to be able to yes. write about it. Like, glass onion was really surprising that it was just during the pandemic right like it was really well, surprising for me to to watch it it's like whoa watch bo burnham and i the i was struck because i'm not this kind of creator he in the moment as it's ha- early in the moment of the pandemic he creates this thing i don't have that i've never had that and I'm never going to have it, you know, that type of thing. My, my brain, I'm autistic. I've talked about this too. It's like, you know, my, you know, I'm on, <laughs> I'm on a geological time scale when it comes mm-hmm. to the creativity. So you got people like Bo Burnham or whoever they can, you know, um, they pick up the pen, they pick up the guitar, they pick up the microphone, whatever, and then bang, there it is. And I don't have it. I've never had it. So I know that about myself too, but, um, yeah, I but I'm I'm struck by that and the this media that we're dealing with today where where everything is YouTube, everything is Instagram, everything is TikTok. You have people that just get right on there in a few minutes can create instantaneously. And it's good and it's considered and it's thoughtful and it's energy. You get that in right away, bang. You get you you know, you know, and it's a different kind of mode of expression. It's a different kind of way of being um you know, um, that I, I just don't have, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm attracted to in the sense that, you know, it's, I, I, I find some of it energetic, you know, you take, you draw energy from some of that too. It's like, how can I, is there a way for me, you know, is there a way for me to sort of find energy in those types of expressions? Um, you know, is there a way for me to, to make those kind of expressions? Probably not, but is there, is there a way that I can kind of take inspiration from that? Um, so yeah. Um, well, like for me, one of the things that I find myself going through, like, let, let's talk about toys for a second. Yeah, yeah. I've thought about making my own YouTube channel for, um, for Rubik's cubes because that's become like mm. this hobby of mine. Uh, yeah. A lot of different styles of cubes. Right. So I thought about making a channel there. And I thought about making a channel uh, about Transformer reviews. You know, I thought about even making it just personal. Like, this is for my own memory. And if anyone else wants to watch it, that's fine. Right? Yeah. But I always come back to the same point. Why am I making it? I can just link to these actual professionals who are doing it much better than me. (laughs) It's... Sure. I think it's just, do you have, is there something that you want to say? It's like with the novels or whatever, whatever art someone is making, it's been done. Um, well, that's just what it, is right? It that, it's like for me, the well feels say. empty because I feel like I don't, 
I don't have anything to contribute. It's just like, right, I mean, yeah, I, I'm more into consuming now. Not more into, I just end up consuming more sure. than creating. I mean, it's not true that you don't have anything to say. I, I think it, it's it's one thing with the well being dry is that one thing I've realized is that part of that consuming as an artist is when you're young, you're the, all those things are, everything is the most important thing ever. X-Men <laughs> comics, Star Wars at the drive-in, Octung baby, the hours, um, that all goes in there. And then there comes a point later in life, like now where I, I don't encounter those things anymore. I don't encounter this is the most important thing. What turns me on is other artists and peers, their writing, you know, their their creativity. It's like, oh, wow. And it's not like an envy thing or a jealousy thing. It's like, oh, wow, that, you know, that, that wakes me up. But I don't have the same experience with things that I anymore that I did when I was younger. It's like, oh, my God, this is like, you know, you're just immediately supercharged. You know, um, this podcast, in a way, is a record of, of us encountering things in the moment this last couple of years and, and, and dissecting them. That's diff- that's a different experience. There's very few sure. things. Out, there's a couple exceptions, everything, everywhere, all at once, um, where, you know, that that do have that kind of energy and you find very little that you're, you know. I live for the, art, the um, movies, books, music that I'm not thinking about. I don't want to think about it. I want to have that profound experience that it's going to take me a really long time to unpack. I actually don't enjoy stuff watching Ant-Man and immediately getting on the microphone and being like that. I wouldn't have done that. That is not, I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy nerding out. I don't enjoy because it's just, it's immediately disposable. Mm-hmm. Right. I want that book. I, you know, I want to hear, um, I want to listen to, to music that, you know, like let's listen to Mitski or even to Mary Spender, who I, I've really, that you turned me on to. And I just really enjoy Mary and I, I like her music and I, I can just listen to it. And she does a great job of dissecting her own music and her own approach to playing, but that's not what turns me on about it. It's just, it's just the energy that she gets to with Mitski. It's the same thing. I know exactly what's going on in Mitski stuff, right? But I'm not thinking about it because it's it's just it's it carries you away, and so that's what that's what I seek. That's what I want. I want something that I can't immediately just you know oh, you know that's or that's you know you listen to a song like everybody was like lately the last few months everybody's like you got to check out Wet Leg. There's this you know this two person uh, two woman sort of punk band. It's very, you're going to love it. And I listen to wet leg and it's very good. They're very good. And I was like, ah, right. You know, it's like, it's, it's, you sort of, it didn't, it didn't pop for me the way it did for them. So, um, that's, that's what I'm seeking. You're seeking that energy. You're seeking that mystery. The unknown. You're seeking that profound. Yeah. The unknown. And like, how, what is it about it that not, not how did they do it? I, I think I know how you guys are doing it. What, how did you do that to me? How did you create this sort of like what it, that experience that yeah. you know the thing when you meet, when you meet somebody new in your life and you're, and you're like I want to know everything about you, so you know um, that kind of a thing and so it's 
um that that's what that that's yeah that's what it is and it's like you know and i um and part of that is experience part of that is location and locale part of that is um people the people in your the new people in your life um or old people coming back actually i'm talking too much sugu so just jump in at any point here <laughs> but i want a really quick detour because this is probably a thread we don't need to explore it's always i think a need to seek the new and find and and you know and just keep moving you know bowie bowie always said is never sitting still never sitting still because it's, it's just creative it can be um it can be just it, uh, apathy i don't know if that's the right word but you know what i mean like it just creates a stagnation. stillness that is stagnation like for me, I feel it most acutely when I pick up a video game. Yeah. Like that's when I feel it like the most striking because I can only sit in my home at my desk and watching a computer screen. And what I'm doing is pressing buttons. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy it. The dopamine's there. The feeling of virtual escapism into the world that the video game has created. All of that's there. But it doesn't feel the same as sitting at my desk and reading a book. It doesn't fit sure. the same or feel the same as sitting at my desk playing my guitar or bass guitar. It doesn't even feel the same as sitting at my desk and actually like programming or editing or building like building my various projects here. Like all of that feels different. But when I sit down and play a video game within five minutes, I'm feeling that stagnation. I'm feeling that I'm just sitting here. And I don't know what it is about video games in particular um, that's causing me to feel that way. Because I'm still active, right? Like, my brain's still thinking. I'm still trying to solve the puzzles or whatever is going on in there. But it just has such a acute point for me where I feel that I'm still. That I'm not getting ideas from even if i'm sitting and listening to music doesn't feel like that yeah i have a lot of thoughts about that with the, with the music too that i i won't get into just because it'll take us down a different path but i i i listen to a ton of music all the time and a lot of it sort of becomes wallpaper a lot of it is um i think is what happening is what's happening is generating friction um it, it is sort of um cycling spinning up cycling through and then in getting to achieving some sort of speed into some something um i think is part of it i can't play video games i don't uh, part of it is is what you just said um there's nothing um video games are all about achieving and unlocking and winning like that there, for me there's no discovery and i know there's a lot of great video games out there that involve a ton of story and that are, you know, that are, you know, but I just don't, I don't play them. 
And so if the you know if there there's a if there's an element in, of any video game that it you know it's just it's it to me I don't I've never played RPGs uh, you know and I know there's a lot of creativity in RPGs but there is something in my brain which just finds no creative value in them and that's that's not a that's not a judgment thing that's just but that's just my brain it's like you know there's this sort of like achieve unlock aspect to those and that's not that's not my brain that's not my creativity my creativity is like what is this and i don't know i wrote this entire thing i don't know what this is about bro i don't know <laughs> I, i'll tell you a bunch of shit you'll tell me a bunch of shit but you know we don't know yeah yeah i think I think for me, part of it with video games, at least, I, I don't know if it's my sticking point, but I know that this thought in my head just keeps coming up whenever I talk to gamers or people who do play a lot of video games. Um, you were mentioning the need to achieve. Well, the thing mm -hmm. is, video games are programmed so that you win, right? Like if it's not programmed so it might be a challenge it might be difficult i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the simple fact that whoever makes the video games have programmed it in such a way that you will win they want you to win they want you to achieve and that just they feels do. more hmm. contrived for me it's just a different I I'm not I, for me just me I just like yeah it, that I I I know exactly what you mean by the contrivance because I don't I don't think that way I'm not motivated that way by you achieve things in publishing I've achieved something in releasing this book that's an achievement the work itself is an achievement I suppose but that's not how I think of it it to me mm -hmm. it's it's this expression that to me I I have carried with me I've now given up. I don't understand it mm -hmm. any more than I did when I started writing it. I feel like I have a relationship with it, but that doesn't mean that I understand or I've unlocked or achieved anything. And right. it will change. We've talked about this too on the pod elsewhere. It will change. The, the, my relationship with it and the reader's relationship with it will change as I go into the, the rest of my life and whatever it encounters in the world come May 5th when it comes out. So it, you know, I have no control over that and I have no control over how those elements seeped into the brain to begin with whatever the spark was way back when where I was like I want to write about this character I want to write about this idea um I don't know what I don't I, I kind of know where it came from I really don't I kind of know where it's going I really don't those are the things and I and people are like well what's the point if you don't really understand it that is the point you don't understand anything Mm -hmm. you don't understand anything you're trying to and that is the entire endeavor for me in art is you're trying to understand something that you never will but you'll get towards understanding you'll get towards awareness you'll get towards acknowledgement those are important things that they may be the most important things in your life i don't know you know like i said there, you know, I have people who really care about me that, that think I'm myopic and I spend too much time on this stuff and I should go out on St. Patrick's Day and get destroyed. And <laughs> maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, but you know, that, you know, 
that's that there are reasons I shouldn't do that either. So, you know, you make choices, I suppose. And those choices have consequences, sometimes far reaching, further reaching than you expect. And sometimes they take you yeah. in good po- in positive directions, sometimes not. Sometimes like I'm I'm thinking of my career, right? It's very positive. Mm-hmm. But it's also very unexpected. I never sure. expected the choices that I made to bring me to this point here. And, you know, the other, the flip side of it is where I'm feeling a bit dry in terms of I don't really have a story that I feel a pressing need to tell. That yeah, I I don't know what I can say about that because what I, what I find I do when I encounter this sort of thing with like friends of mine who have been writers or artists in the past, and and I'll say, well, just you have this or you have that, and work on this. That that doesn't serve them anything for me to say. Well, just do this. Yeah, right. So I don't I don't really say much about that other than. It is important to find balance and happiness in your life, and and you know, and I my life is unbalanced because it is focused heavily on on the, the writing and things like that, and I do want other things in my life. Um, but finding the right balances in that are important, and I know part of my artistic future and expression is finding other things, mm-hmm. um, and finding different you know different ways of being, and so. Um, in your case, for folks who feel like I don't feel like I have anything to say, that may be true. It may not be entirely true. That may not you may not have foreclosed that completely. But I think it's for myself, and I think for all of us, it's about finding that balance and finding seeking. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right? You're just always be seeking to be curious, to be open to possibility because you never know like you said you didn't expect to be in your field you didn't necessarily expect or want to be a travel writer but you did that and that was exciting and new you probably you didn't grow up thinking probably you wanted to live in japan but you did that and then that was exciting it's new it's now it's rearranged it's it's defined your life in adulthood mm-hmm. you know and and so those are things that are all expecting they lead unexpected places you didn't expect a pandemic all these things you know, and that's going to continue. And it's just some people close off from that. Yeah. You know, some people don't. You're not one of those people. So, you know, staying open and letting your life sort of uh, adapt. I don't know if that's the right word, but, but you know, but, 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 but evolve with, um, with what comes, whatever that may be. God knows anymore. But Yeah, right. Like the pandemic has shown life is there's a lot of randomness there is a lot and of a random lot of adapting and coping a lot a lot a lot and you know that's what we're all trying to do on some level and you're trying to make sense of it and you're trying to find your place and when you don't when you when you feel isolated and you feel disconnected when you're reaching out to someone and you're tra- you're trying to connect with them and you're you're trying to get over those walls and you don't there's nothing more there's nothing more frustrating in the world. And so, and then you get bruised, you get, you get battered, you get stitched up and then you go back into situations and you're like, well, maybe I should just 
not. Maybe I should, I have something here, right? Maybe I should just lean into this or accept this or whatever. So, but it's being open, it's keeping yourself open to mm -hmm. possibility and not closing off completely. I, um, I would like you know. to add one thing, not just keeping yourself yeah. open, but being curious as well. Yeah, to that's really curious it. to like to to try stuff that you would normally say your your first instinct would say no to, but stay curious and then be open about what you're about to experience. Being curious, especially in today's world, is the most important thing because there's a lot of people who aren't curious and are really eager to tell you about it. And they're really eager to organize our world into a world which is hostile to curiosity. Mm -hmm. And um, it's more important now than ever that you stay open, not just for the world that we live in, and, and, but for yourself. Because you're a human being. You're a human being on earth. This is your only go, folks. This is it. You're not going to get another trip. Why on earth would you squander that opportunity by saying this is all my life is? And part of that you don't have control over. Okay, I'm not saying that. But the part that you do, you can be open. You can stay open. You know, stay curious and resist any and personally, culturally, whatever, resist any impulse to close down. Because once you do that, you stop being, you stop, you lose some of your humanity, right? Mm -hmm. you, 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 are, you are a organism which is organized around acquiring information. You are an individual aspect of a system which is built entirely around acquiring information. Okay, your entire body is organized around input, some some output, but mostly input, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. That's not for nothing. That's not for nothing. So why on earth would you listen to anybody who's told you that there's nothing else and that this is what it is? They certainly don't know. They just told you that they have no yeah. clue at all and they're proud of not knowing they're proud of not knowing and there is no pride in being stupid folks there's none there's no pride in ignorance and if all you're clinging to is your limitations okay you are failing your own humanity end of sermon <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's leave it there but before we go I do I, I knew it. I knew we couldn't bring this up organically. We started mm. to. We got. We veered really close to it, but uh, in the end, couldn't. One of the things that I really wanted to kind of talk about is kind of a conclusion to our last week's episode, but also because it's relevant here, is um, there are a lot of YouTube channels that I watch that they started their own uh content streaming service uh it's called nebula i highly recommend it one of our favorite youtubers Lindsay ellis is on there made a comeback um it turns out a bunch of my channels that i watch uh 
they all have nebula uh, channels. And so I can get like this giant discount for the rest of my days from each channel. <laughs> it's but yeah, it's like, great. And some people like Mary, uh, Mary Spender has like uh, classes on there. Like she has a, yeah. a guitar learning how to play guitar courses, plural, I think on there. Um, and then a lot of YouTubers that we both watch, Lindsay Ellis and, and um, folks like that, um, that are really sort of heavily focused on sort of like film, sort of film study, but also sort of pop cultural study are on there. And so if you're into that at all, especially for Lindsay Ellis, who left YouTube and is now back creating again, which is amazing on uh, Nebula, I, I think it's worth, I think it's $50 a year. Um, and it's, it's, it, you're spending that on your streaming services every month, guys. So if you want educational value, some people, you know, a lot of, a lot of the YouTubers put up something on Nebula that goes onto YouTube later that a lot that you can watch for free on YouTube. So you may like, maybe I'll just wait. Sure. But if you want to support these creators and this creative endeavor, which is this sort of artistic collective, which I think is fascinating. It's great, especially for this particular community, but also the edification and ed education of people. Well, that's um, just it, right? It's like the yeah. channels that I watch are, well, one of the channels, uh, Second Thought, it's, um, he even says on there that on YouTube, his videos get demonetized simply because yeah. of the content. Um, yep. Now that's that's cryptic. He does a lot of uh, left-wing, progressive, socialism, pro-socialism um, content. Basically, like picking apart all of the different aspects of capitalism and socialism. Really educational, really interesting videos, but they're demonetized on YouTube, kind of constantly. But he's on Nebula, and you can watch his videos there and really understand what he's talking about. Like I've learned so much from second thought, legal Eagle, um, Lindsay Ellis, like not just film, but all sorts of stuff that I think you and I were talking off the podcast, but, uh, the videos that tend to get demonetized or that you have to watch like 30 of them before your algorithm recommendations start to kind of recommend right. them to you. Basically, left-wing progressive stuff, it's all on Nebula. And you don't have the worry about you watch something and then get flooded with right-wing propaganda uh, as well. Like It's great. Highly recommend. Yeah, YouTube always pushes stuff that gets clicks. And what, what gets clicks is outrage and, um, um, you know, a lot of faux and performative uh outrage and so a lot of that is you know a lot a lot of that is a lot a lot of junk food especially when it comes mm -hmm. into the pop culture stuff um so folks who put any thought into it like lindsay alice lindsay alice has obviously done very well on youtube but a lot of people who put thought into it like you're approaching any subject which is controversial in the pop culture space snyder cut whatever if you want to approach it holistically and, and thoughtfully and you want to say, I, you know, there are, you know, if you want to have a conversation dialogue study of it, 
YouTube can and does elevate that. We've seen that. And Lindsay Ellis gets a lot of clicks. Maggie Mayfish. It's those folks. But they also get drowned out by things that are just like, you know, the MCU is over or Kevin Feige sucks or yeah. Kathleen Kennedy is fired. You know, you you people have been saying Kathy Kennedy has been fired for seven or eight years. It's, it's not she's not fired. It's still working. Right. And some of you guys are not making YouTube videos anymore. So that type of stuff. So that if you just want to drown that, if you just want to cut that out of it, you know, and sometimes I do, I don't, I don't, don't, you know, I don't, YouTube don't recommend me this shit and folks don't send me this shit. Um, I don't want, I'm not going to watch it. I, I don't, I want to care if you want to send me, you know, Hey, have you thought about this? Okay. But, um, I, you know, so yeah, I think Nebula is really fascinating. It's really fascinating too. Cause it's for me so far that I'm aware of, it's the first sort of, example of sort of an artistic collective in the digital virtual space like you've always had artistic collectives and you know things like united artists and things like that and Sinead o'connor at one point was trying to pioneer this same idea in music to you know sort of get outside the ecosystem of the label or the studio or whatever this is these guys creating and creating their own space outside the youtube eco ecosystem and that's really fascinating and i think it has and doing really it interesting yeah collectively these people are elevating each other and themselves and it's all about education this involves money it's a subscription service they are being paid but that's how you're supporting this and you're supporting creativity and thought and education and and intellectualism and um it, that's important that's important almost all of these guys almost all of them have patreon and things like that in in addition to youtube youtube simply doesn't pay the bills um mm -hmm. maybe for some of them on the high end it does but for most of these folks it does not so um this is another way that you can support them and you know it's another way you can support artists being artists and being creative and um you know some of these folks like patrick willems who is a like Lindsay is uh, an essayist and a and a critic, but he's also him. It really is creative, and he's he's got these little runners and creative short films and things like that. He's got like Nebula exclusives that are kind of more into that vein. So yeah, yeah. Legal Eagle does a bunch of like uh, law and case explanations. Like he'll take famous mm. cases throughout history and kind of break them down to their key elements of what is really being discussed and, and all that really fascinating to understand how law and justice actually works. Um, his nebula yeah. is longer and uncut. Uh, you can still watch it on YouTube. It's just shorter. And then, yeah, it, it inspires um, me. Like, you know, you're talking earlier about, you know, wanting to create YouTube channels and I've had thoughts float through the brain at some various points about like doing something just in particular like focused on comic books or or publishing slash writing and things like that and I never get there either because I, I sort of for various reasons but it does inspire me to be more thoughtful and sort of think you know what am I putting out into the world right you yeah. know like what you know what what do I want to put out into the world and how do I want to approach these things and you know um and um, because I do want to contribute and I think all the time about writing and publishing and I, I, I want to, especially as I, 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 
you know, the Nebula thing is so interesting. I know we're wrapping up. I know we're over, but it's so interesting to me because one of the hardest things about being an independent author is that you're an independent author (laughs) and you feel very alone. You feel very overwhelmed. And there is, there is a vast universe of knowledge and experience, things that it's all disconnected. It's not centralized. There's no hub and there, there are networks and you do network and you group and you, you form units and you things like that. But there, there's also a lot of people trying to make their own way and that means making their own way. And there's a lot of also just, you know, people are like, how do I do this? And there, there, there are authors and artists that don't want to help you and don't want to tell you mm-hmm. because one, they don't know Two, they don't want to help anybody else because my God, I'm trying to make it out here, you know, that, that kind of a stuff. And it's like, I, 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 I would love for there to be more, a more, transparency more knowledge more centralized more community and i am part of some art you know writing communities and self uh the self-publishing science fiction contest is a great one which is sort of that creating in that space a a hub for independent authors to uh, in that genre to go to um and from that there i'm involved in you know discord and groups and things like that that sort of splinter off of that and you know and so those are all great and you meet people and i want to meet more people i want to engage more i'm not natural to that but i I want to do that i want to i want to be able to learn i want to be able to grow i want to help people learn i want to help people grow so that's on my Mm -hmm. mind lately too um and um it's finding ways of doing that you know um but I'm inspired to do that by this type of stuff. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I guess for me, just because we're running long, my final thought and just to get it on the record of me having said it in recorded publicly available area, zero sum games do not work. You don't yes. have to live life as if everything is a zero-sum game. Sometimes, in fact, more often than not, a collaborative approach, well, a rising tide lifts all boats. It's not a zero-sum. That's my final thought on the matter. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Let let people help you. Let yourself be helped. <laughs> and help other people. And help you others. never know when those people are going to turn around and be in a position where they can help you out later on. That, um, and and also when someone may need help, and you know, you may not be able to help them, but you know what, you can be. You can be there, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's important. That they they can be there for you, and that's that's really important sometimes because. As we've been in this whole episode, just to wrap up, final thought, this whole thing we've been talking about, the well is empty. You butt your head against life, against experience, against, you know, you you got to this point in your life and you just don't feel that energy. You do feel that agitation. You do feel that anxiety. And and where you go with that is, is either to your significant other or your peers. And if there's no one there because you're, you're whatever, you have to be open just to echo my, my thoughts, be open. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. 
Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.